But if you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, that's where we'll be. And then we'll have communion today. So it's kind of a short chapter, but um, a really good one. This is the one where he prays for wisdom. And there is so much in Scripture about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you keep it in our hearts this morning as we've sung the songs, we've uh, kind of softened the soil of our hearts as we get our minds off of the things of this world and earthly wisdom and get our minds fixed on you and eternity. And it kind of prepares us for your word. And so we're thankful for that plowing that's taken place. Uh, our minds are where they need to be. Our hearts are where they need to be. Now we pray that as, the, as you're a good sower, would you sow your word deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Solomon has been given the keys to the kingdom here, and he feels a little out of place, a little unqualified, which is good. Um, you get concerned about people that think they're qualified for the position. Yeah, it's about time you recognized my glorious abilities, and uh, that's not a good thing. It's not humility. Solomon has humility. He understands that. Now, he knew that God had called him to the job. Um, his mom knew that he had been called to the job. David knew that he was called to the job. And so everybody's on board. It wasn't one of those false humilities that we can have sometimes where I don't think I can do a good job, therefore I'm not going to do it. He knew he was supposed to do it. He just didn't know how to do it, but he was going to do it. That false humility that says, I'm not even going to try, is actually pride concealed because I don't want to look bad. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to look bad. Well, that's pride. And Solomon gets rid of that pride, understands his calling, steps into this position, but then asks God for help. It says in verse 1, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh's king of e with the Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. The except is probably the bad part here. Well, not probably, it, it is. Um, he makes a distinction. God makes a distinction here between being obedient to God and burning in uh, incense and sacrificing in the high places. Now, it seemed to be an accepted practice, uh, a merciful practice, or God allowed it, I guess. Uh, didn't punish it because he knew, well, they don't feel like they have any place to worship, although the tabernacle was supposed to be the only place to worship. They weren't supposed to have several altars, but they did. And they went to those places, and they did offer sacrifices to the true and living God. And it was almost like God was saying, well, uh, close, you know, kind of thing. And so he gave them mercy in these areas, um, so much so. But he does want us to make note of this, that it wasn't an act of obedience to just offer up sacrifices anywhere you felt like it. It would have been better to actually take the time and make the effort to get to where you were supposed to be, to do it where you're supposed to do it, Okay. Um, and so he gets called out on that. Now, this is before the prayer. This is before the asking for wisdom, which is in the next section of this chapter. Solomon makes a treaty with Egypt. Always represents the world. Always represents the world. And this is how they'd make treaties. Hey, I'll marry your daughter. She can come on board and be queen. And that way you're not going to attack, right? It's kind of the idea. Um, it's a dangerous practice. It, 
it's a, it's a worldly practice. Um, um, now, we have a different kind of governmental structure, obviously. It's not a theocracy. Theirs is a theocracy. They, they truly follow the ways of the Lord, okay? And they let God rule and reign, and it's very public. Ours is turning into more of a, uh, you can do whatever you want to do with whatever God you want to do. Just don't bother me with it kind of thing. Just don't make it a state law or a, a federal law to worship your God kind of thing. Um, although we, we're a Christian nation for the most part, um, we've moved away from that to let's just not institute any specific religion. Um, and so we don't have a theocracy here, uh, but they do. Very public, very out in the open. And so when I say he brings in worldly wisdom, that's what that was at the time. It's, they're supposed to trust in God. They're supposed to marry with whom God told them to marry and not go outside of the uh, Israeli nation or outside of the Jewish faith. Um, but they did um, because that's what the rest of the world did. Um, and so that's his first mistake. This isn't his first wife. This is probably number two. His first wife um, is, a, is a different lady. We'll get into her later on. But he's already come uh, into this uh, position with a wife. So he's already starting to multiply wives. But, but David did, right? I mean, that's our, that's our backup um, Deuteronomy 17:17 17, 17 is a specific order to all those who are going to rule Israel. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. For the nation's one thing, but for himself, don't multiply it greatly. Don't be so fixed on your uh, income. Um, but the focus, obviously, for today's chapter is on the wives, because they'll turn you away from me, is the idea. They're going to move you away. These multiple wives from all these different nations who are used to worshiping these other gods will tempt you because they won't give up their culture. They don't give up their old habits. They don't necessarily come to the Lord. If they do, that's great. If they do come to the Lord, but you're still not supposed to multiply wives. Okay. And so there's a danger there, but David did. David did, right? So that's maybe his excuse. Well, David got by with it. And I can do that in my own walk with Jesus, too. I can justify some of the things. Well, I saw so-and-so, and he was a great man of God, and he did these things. We've got to be careful. Nehemiah checks us on that. Nehemiah 13, verses 25 through 27, as he was looking at the nation of Israel that was being rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity, he comes in and he begins to see the people do the same things they used to do by giving their daughters over to other nations and other nations' wives coming in and this intermingling. And he says this about it. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons for yourself. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, or even him, to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Now, there's, there's different kinds of ministers out there. You know, you've got the Ezra's who would weep for the nation. And then you got Nehemiah's that just yanked their hair out when he was upset with them. And this is what he would do. I don't think we take sin as seriously as they did back then. 
It was so important that Nehemiah get this point across that he was grabbing people by the hair saying, are you kidding me? Are you going to still follow after this? Don't marry pagans. I hope we hear that this morning. Every young person here, I hope you hear that. You're not going to get by with it. Well, I've seen, uh, I've got this one example clear over here where Bob, the born-again believer, married Jane, the unbeliever, and he witnessed to her his whole life, and she came to know the Lord, and that worked. See? See? No. Be very careful about that. Bob didn't tell you about the 20 years of pan throwings that took place in the kitchen, or the arguments, or the silence or the withdrawal from one another, or the lack of love and affection towards one another, all the things that had to go on, all the sacrifice. God's not called us to that in marriage. The home, the marriage is supposed to be a place of, of rest. It's supposed to be a refuge. It's supposed to be a place where I can let down my guard. It's not supposed to be another mission field. Although we do minister in our homes, it's not supposed to be a place where we're getting spit on. That's for the sidewalk. That's for talking to people about Jesus who didn't expect you to walk up to them kind of thing, but not at home. A man or a woman of God should be able to come home and, wow, you know, what a day, and feel comfort. Every time Jesus had, you know, Jesus wasn't married, so every time what happened after Jesus would go through an incredible ministry time, the angels would come and minister to him, or he would spend time in prayer and get alone with God. That's where he found his refuge. That's where his place of, of uh, recharging his spiritual battery, so to speak. Husbands and wives are supposed to have that same relationship where they come and they can have those spiritual batteries recharged. They don't have to be on guard. Solomon is going to marry in and he's going to come across so-and-so from the, the queen of Egypt or whatever, whoever he married, and he's got to be careful how he talks to her because she doesn't like to hear these certain things. Or so-and-so from the land of Ammoning or one of the ites, you know. i got to be careful how I talk about her. Uh, and so I'm, it's just easier not to talk about God in front of them. They get so mad. So pretty soon Solomon's not talking about God anymore in front of his wives. And he can only have this time alone when he's, you know, it's not supposed to be that way. Nehemiah gets to the point where don't make this mistake to the point where the most loving thing I can do for you, Nehemiah says, is to pull some hair out to get your attention. Boy, I hope we pay attention to that. Find a believing wife. Not, not someone who says they're a Christian. That's, that's not the same thing. Find a believing husband. Not someone who says he's a Christian. Find someone who is madly in love with Jesus Christ and is a born-again believer who thinks more of Jesus than they think of you, who's more concerned about their Bible study than they are of making sure that you're happy, you know? Because when that person's relationship with God is right, their relationship with you will be right. But if their relationship with God isn't right, your relationship with them won't be right. And your marriage will be a struggle. It's a struggle. And sometimes a lifelong struggle. Solomon loved the Lord and walked in his statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now, the king went to Gibeon, which is where the tabernacle is. He never brought it to Jerusalem to sacrifice there. For that was a, the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Now, we can make a a bad 
assumption here that it's because of the thousand sacrifices that God showed up and began to talk to him. That's not the case. Um, They knew what the requirements were for sin. They knew what the requirements were for fellowship. And God's never asked us for more than that. It's not wrong that he wanted to do that, except one of the commentators said it was grotesque because of one man doing a thousand. See, animals had to die. And, and, and maybe you're not an animal lover. Or maybe you're not a, you know, you don't care that much about them or whatever. It's just, you, you know, you, we've, we, we kind of get that way sometimes as we get older and older. It's like, it's just a cow or it's just this, it's just that. And they are, don't make me, I'm not a, I don't know why we call it the humane society. It's nothing human about them. Um, it, it, it's, 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 let's be nice to animal society perhaps, but the humane society doesn't, it doesn't really fit. Um, we try to humanize them a little bit. It, Regardless, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. And the idea behind passing your sins onto this animal who's done nothing wrong to die in place of you is supposed to mean something. It's supposed to bring you to a place of humility, a place of brokenness. But instead, after the necessary sacrifice was made for his sin and the necessary sacrifice was made for fellowship, peace, and so on, all the offerings, He goes above and beyond and begins to just keep going with these sacrifices. Um, When I ask for forgiveness from God or when I repent of my sins or talk to him, it's done. It's over with. There is no extra. There's no way to go above and beyond that. Um, It's done. Jesus Christ is a propitiation for my sins. There's no way for me to gain more favor with God. You can't have any more favor with God than I do, and I can't have any more favor with God than you do. It's set. Jesus is the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, and he, and he has if you believe on him and trust in him for salvation. And you, you've repented. You know, that's, that's the point. So don't make that relation. The, the, don't, don't put these two things together. It's a fact. He did give a thousand burnt offerings on the altar, which means a thousand animals died that day, showed his wealth, um, showed his fear, perhaps, showed his, um, what's the right word that I'm looking for, his insecurities. I'm not sure. If you really knew God and you really knew what his word said, you'd follow his word and you'd do that and it'd be enough and you'd have peace in your heart. But there's something wrong. There's something missing here. And so God shows up and says, ask, what shall I give you? In other words, let me give you peace. What can I give you that's going to make you feel Like you can do this job. What is this? I know I've called you here, but I want to make myself available to you. You could talk to me anytime. And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given uh, him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Do Do you see what he's saying? It's all about my dad. I mean, you were with my dad. That was great. And you still love my dad by by putting me on the throne. He's not grabbed it yet that God's trying to work with this person, Solomon. He hasn't made himself, I'm your guy now. I have the same relationship with you as my dad did. It's still because of my dad. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. And he means that in humility. I do not know how to go out or come in. 
And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? So he's right. But doesn't know how he stands with God, doesn't know how it's going to happen. I know I'm here. I appreciate you, all the things you're doing for my dad, but I, I need to know how to do this. And I don't think I do. In fact, I know I don't. And so he asked God for wisdom. Of course, this is very pleasing to the Lord. Um, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, of course, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And he'll give you the wisdom liberally. Um, we have a, a term that we all use. It's Well, that's just common sense. That's just common sense. And we're realizing, I think, as we get older, more and more, uh, less and less people have this common sense that seems to be so common. It's becoming, you have rare sense, you know, is what we should probably change. You have really rare sense. Um, common sense is, but be careful because sense that has been passed down from generation to generation and has made itself common is not always correct. It's not, only, it's not always godly. It's what's always been done. It's what's always worked, but it isn't necessarily what God wants to do in this situation. Sometimes common sense isn't God's sense. It's not what he wants to do. We have to ask. Solomon's asking. A lot of this stuff is going to be common sense. Take care of the infrastructure, you know, make sure everybody's doing good. Don't tax them too high. I mean, certain things are normal things, but there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be abnormal, things that are going to come up that you have to be careful. You have to ask the Lord. I need to ask the Lord. I've seen several different people who claim to be carpenters. The guy we bought the house from said, I'm a, I, I did all this work all myself. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. And we've discovered it's a bad thing as we tear the place apart and begin to repair everything he ever did to the house, which was wrong. The wiring, again, this is great selling for my house someday, but it's the wiring is unbelievably confusing, and it's as if he, it was a fort, you know? It was like a treehouse, and we'll just run this wire over here, and we'll run this over here, and, and, and this breaker that you have to unscrew takes care of the attic fan, but it also takes care of the porch light. At the, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just whatever, oh, there's a wire. We just cut it and add, add something to it. We discovered So what he was boasting about probably shouldn't have been boasting about, you know? There's carpenters and then there's carpenters. I, I have Instagram, and so I like a lot of these woodworking guys, these carpenters who have wisdom. I mean, amazing wisdom how they do this stuff. Something that's so simple. It's like, man, I don't know, taking a baseboard off, you know? All of a sudden, he just he, he finds a hack. They, find a, they call it a hack to take a baseboard off without damaging the drywall or damaging the flooring or whatever it is. It's like, oh, why did I think of that? Of course, you just get a wide you know, spackle knife and put it in there and then put your pry bar in there. And when you're pressing again, you know, oh, wisdom, you know, and I grab that wisdom and I steal it from other guys. It's not common sense, although it was for this guy, but it wasn't for me. Couldn't figure out for the life of me. Sometimes you need to ask, seek the Lord, find out what he wants to do. If anybody asks, I want you to ask, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and he'll give it to you liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. Exodus 
so many scriptures, and I can't read them all today. I mean, I've got them, and I'll print them off if you want them, but I looked up the word wisdom and started pulling this and pulling that. And Anyway, Exodus 28.3, So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. And there's several verses that say that. I want wisdom. It's not something that's common. It's not something that's worldly. It's a different kind of wisdom God's talking about. It's a wisdom that comes by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. It comes into your life. And so I don't have to worry about, am I the smartest guy in the room? Am I the whatever? All I need to know is, is the Holy Spirit. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Then I'm going to have the information that I need. And I don't know that we rely on him as much as we should. If we don't depend upon that, oh God, before I take another step this morning or this afternoon or whenever, fill me with your Holy Spirit that when I walk, I walk in wisdom because I'm paying attention to him and I'm listening to him. All the artisans had been filled with the spirit of wisdom and they were able to do the things for the tabernacle. Exodus 31.3, and I have filled them with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. In Exodus 35.26, and all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn. Who would have thought you had to have wisdom by the Holy Spirit to spin yarn? But they did, and they did it in such a way it was amazing. Sometimes you can get by. Yeah, I did all the work in my house, and you know what? It's still together. But then there's the right way to do it, the best way to do it, a way to do it with excellence. Exodus 36.1 names these two guys and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding. Exodus 36.2 and on and on. Deuteronomy 4.6, therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. What's he talking about? who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. That wisdom comes from following the ways of the Lord. It's not free. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Walk in righteousness. We're going to see several scriptures like that. And that wisdom is going to show up in your life because it's wise to obey God's word. It's foolish to not obey God's word. And so anytime I'm trying to be wise and not follow God's word, guess which one wins? The foolishness of not following the Lord. You can be the smartest guy in the room, but if you're not following the ways of the Lord, it's not going to end well for you or for them. Deuteronomy 34, 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Psalm 37, 30. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. That's that combination again. Walking with the Lord is wise. And when you speak as a righteous person, someone who's walking with God, there's wisdom to be had. And then on and on. And I have, I think, eight more verses, which I won't read to you. All through the Psalms. Solomon asked for wisdom. Of all the things he could have asked for, you know, you got one wish. What is it? I want wisdom. I don't know if that's the first thing on my list. For most people, it'd be money. For others who have money, it would be importance or power. That's not the things that he asked for. It says in verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have uh, asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there is not 
been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways, and here's the key. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. There's that clause at the bottom. You're going to be the wisest. You're going to be the richest. You're going to have the most honor. And don't forget to walk in my ways, though. Don't forget to walk in my ways. Now, those are all the great verses um, about godly wisdom. 1 Corinthians is interesting. As you're going through these wisdom cross-references, and you find all these amazing ones all through Psalms, all through Proverbs, all through Deuteronomy, all these wonderful, oh man, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. All of a sudden, 1 Corinthians comes up. The entire book, there's 17 different verses that talk about nothing but bad wisdom. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. And then it gets to the Corinthian church. And when Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church, he says, hey, and by the way, this wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom, bad. Somehow or another, the church got confused. And they thought intellectualism was wisdom. And they began to bring in sensual, demonic, earthly wisdom into the church. And it was not wise. And so let me read you a few of these verses. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's 17 of them. 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since the wisdom of God... The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You think you're wise, but I'm telling you, people don't get saved through the wisdom that you're thinking of. They get saved through the cross, which is not the wisdom you're thinking of. The cross is foolishness to this world. And God thought it was the best way to get people saved was not through their intellect, but through their heart. And so he changed the gospel. He made the gospel in such a way that it was through the foolish gospel that people got saved. So no one could say, I made that an intellectual ascent into salvation. A couple other scriptures. Well, I didn't write them all down because I thought I didn't need them. Let's do 1 Corinthians 1, 29 through 31. Later on in that same chapter. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. When it comes down to our salvation, he wants us to be able to say nothing but that Jesus did it, that Jesus is the one. He became our wisdom the person who becomes a born-again believer is now the wisest person that they could ever be, is the idea. I've come to Christ. To not come to Christ is to still be in that foolish camp. But once you come to Christ, Christ becomes that wisdom. Not only the wisdom, but he also becomes our righteousness. He becomes our sanctification and our redemption. Now, I don't have enough time to dig into this, but it's something to seriously chew on what that means as he talks about this wonderful godly wisdom that's given throughout the ages, and he gets to Corinthians and tells this church who needs to be corrected in their wisdom that you guys have got it wrong. It's through the foolishness of the cross that people get saved. See, they become haughty and prideful. They were moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and yet they didn't have the wisdom of God, and yet they didn't understand the importance of the foolishness of the cross. They'd lost their humility. They had not walked in the ways of the Lord. They had the gifts of the Spirit, but they were using them wrongly. 
inappropriately to the belittlement of all those who didn't use the gifts like they thought they should. What a horrible place to be to walk around in your gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be wisdom, with pride, which ruins it. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. You're a resounding gong. You're a noise. You're a waste of time. You're doing nothing but to glorify yourself. Moving all the gifts of the want, but until, all the gifts of the Spirit as you want, but until you're filled with the Spirit of wisdom, they're nothing. It doesn't do anything to anybody except exalt you. Dangerous place to be. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Two different kinds of wisdom in the world. There's self-seeking wisdom. There's this worldly, sensual, demonic wisdom that he speaks of in the first portion here. And there's godly wisdom. So if you're wondering what kind of wisdom you have, compare notes. Godly wisdom looks like this. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy. As good fruits, you're going to see some beautiful things come from it. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Those are the things. Oh, here's my first Corinthian list. Some of them. 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the very next verse, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 19, the very next verse, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He goes on and on to tell this church, do you know what I'm talking about? They were so caught up in their own wisdom, they thought they were it, you know? And so Paul spends, I mean, within four verses, he says the same thing. You know that wisdom that you're so proud of? It's not good. It's not godly. 1 Corinthians 1.21, for since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness and the message preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians one twenty two, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians one thirty, But of him you were in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I don't want to read them all. But I've got them, and I'll print them off if you want them. But it goes all the way until we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 8. All the way along, bad wisdom, bad wisdom, bad wisdom. Until you get to 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it says this, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. He starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Those beautiful things that can come from God, but they've got to come from God. They have to come from God. So it pleased the Lord. I see that you're doing this, and I'm going to give you that wisdom, and I'm going to give you the things you didn't ask for. Now, here we have our first, well, we'll finish up here. Then Solomon awoke, verse 15, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, 
and made a feast for all of his servants. Now here's his first test. Now two women who were harlots, prostitutes, came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, while your maidservant slept, and I laid him, and, and I'm sorry, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. So now. It's a he said, or a she said, she said, I guess is what this would be. How do you discern? So he comes up with a plan. Thus, they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives. And your son is the dead one. And the other one says, no, but your son is dead. And the one, uh, and, and my son is the one that's living. And the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, for by no means kill him. She is the mother, or she is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. It's a crazy story, isn't it? That's a lot of guts. I mean, because if you weren't fast with your words, the guys next to you with the sword probably would have followed through. I'm sure they would have. Oh, okay, if you think this is what we're supposed to do. Solomon here, and there's a lot to dig into, but I want to do communion. I don't want to skip that this morning. But what he does is he relies on God in his wisdom, in his plan. He relies on righteousness. He trusts that that's going to show the truth. He puts out a scenario where righteous has to rise to the top. It has to come to the surface. He makes a situation in such a way that only God can bring about the right result. And in the heart of both women, both rise to the top under this pressure. He makes a scenario. He makes this situation so that evil rises up in the heart of the evil woman who's lying and righteousness rises up in the woman who, although a harlot, still has love in her heart for her child. You see, he makes that happen. And he uses that. He didn't have wisdom. He didn't have this magical thought that came from God saying, I believe the Ouija board is moving over to the first woman. You know, that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's not what happened. What happened was, I'm going to see, according to God's word, I'm going to let righteousness rise to the top here. I'm going to put a little heat on. I'm going to boil up. And I'm going to see what comes top. Either dross that has to be skimmed off the top, or it's going to show the reflection of God. And it did. And that's how he did it. He used God. He let God do it, and God's tactics, 
God does the same thing for us. I want to know what's in my heart. In fact, we pray those prayers a lot. Oh, God, search me and know me. I want to know if I'm true. I want to know if my heart's right on this. Are my motives correct? God's got to turn the heat up. When the heat comes up and my instinct and my reaction, my instinct is righteous, okay. But if my instinct is fleshy, if it's carnal, well, either way, my prayer's been answered. I find out what my motive was. is isn't the answer I wanted a lot of times, but it's the answer I needed. It gives us a great opportunity to get closer to God when he does that. Now, we're going to have communion here. We're going to share. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Paul says that Jesus took the bread that they were eating, and he broke it, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he handed it out to the disciples, and they each took a piece, and it says, as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. This is my broken body given for you. He did that. After he did that, he took the cup that they were drinking from, passed it around, and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He was describing to them what he was going to do the next day by dying on the cross for their sins. And that to partake in that, to be a born-again believer, to trust in that for your salvation, remember me in this. And so he's given us this this morning to remind ourselves of the cross, to maybe bring humility back into our lives, to let us let go of the pride that we thought looked like humility, but was really just pride hidden or concealed. God does a lot through his word. Just reading his word is heat. It brings things to the surface that we didn't think were still there. Um, it shows us who we really are. Sometimes it's good. It's like, I completely agree with that. Or yesterday I did that, and it confirms that we walked in righteousness yesterday. But sometimes his word shows us that we didn't. This reminder that he gave us is to also remind us that, I mean, it's, it's designed for this, is to show us that we're going to heaven, not how we did yesterday. God's word does that, and we want to do better the next day and the next day, and that, but we want to do better because of this, because we're already children of God. We've trusted in him for salvation. We're walking with him. David did a lot of things he shouldn't have done, but he was counted as a righteous man before God. Solomon does a lot of things he shouldn't have done, but he's in heaven. He made it. It was all because they trusted in God's salvation. So I don't know what kind of week you had, and I don't know what kind of, I'm not going to tell you what kind of week I had. But please be reminded this morning with this cup and with this bread that it's his broken body and it's his shed blood. It's the sacrifice that he made. Any sacrifice I make is just out of thanksgiving for the sacrifice that he made. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to have with you. As we've received our bread and others are still getting it, Lord, we, we lift it up to you and we thank you for this reminder. You knew we'd need it, that we need to be reminded of our forgiveness, of the grace and mercy that's in you, of our walk with you. And it is a daily walk. And Solomon does some wise things and he does some really foolish things. David did some wise things and he did some really foolish things too. So we're in good company. Bad habits, though. 
Lord, we just want to come before you and ask for forgiveness for those days and those items and those things in our memories that, well, they didn't bring you glory like the song we sang. We didn't exalt you in our lives. We didn't do what we'd hoped to do that day or in that situation. But we thank you for this grace that we hold in our hands, this reminder that it's because you loved us that you died on the cross for our sins, because you set your heart on us, you set your eyes on us, you set your love on us. And we just want to respond with today in humility. Thank you that we're saved. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you that you died on the cross for us. And in eating and drinking this, we acknowledge it in humility. We don't walk away from this cup and bread saying we're not worthy. We know we're not worthy. But we hold it in our bread. We hold this bread in our cup in our hands knowing that you are, though, and that you've made us righteous. You've made us worthy. You are our sanctification. You are our wisdom. To eat and drink this is wise. So we acknowledge you. We thank you for being wise, for being king. We pray that you would rule and reign in our lives. Help us to bring you glory. Help us to walk with compassion, with grace, mercy, peaceably. We want to be Christians but we want to be accurate representations of you also as we walk as Christians. Lord, help us to be those little Christs we're supposed to be. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the spirit of wisdom. Help us to walk in your ways. As we read through the Gospels and we see what you did, Jesus, and how you walked and how you answered people, and help us to be wise like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that you keep it in our hearts. I pray that you keep the birds away from trying to snatch it out or away from us. We pray for the cares of this life, that they would diminish and the fruit of your word would increase in our lives. We pray for the scorching of the sun or the trials and tribulations that will come our way, that our roots would be so deep, we would be so firmly planted in your word that it wouldn't scorch us that we would call upon you and, and praise you even more during the hard times, God. We just want to represent you well. We just want to exalt you. So, God, I pray that you give us opportunities this week to do that, to lift you up, Jesus, to be bold, to be humble but excited to share you with those around us, confident in the salvation that we have in you, what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.